CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Friday, Options Action fans. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Carter Worth, Mike Coe, and Tony Zhang. Coming up, the reopening trade has been a runaway this week, but there's a right way to play it and a wrong way. We lay out the trades. Plus, a social butterfly takes flight, soaring more than 20% since catching Tony's eye. We'll find out what he's doing with it right now. And later, we are taking your tweets. If you've got a question about an options trade, tweet us at Options Action. We might just answer you on the air. But let's get right to it. Commodities surging over the past year with copper leading the pack up nearly 60%. Silver's risen about 50%. Platinum and gold also up double digits. So if you're looking for a way to dig in on the big rally, look no further than our chart master, Carter Worth. Carter, take it away. Sure. So this is going to, as a discussion, examine the possibility of playing stocks related to industrial metals and sort of raw materials and making the case that the commodities themselves have gone so far that the stocks, which have lagged, can play catch-up. Let's look at the first chart. This is the CRB uh, index of raw industrial uh, commodities. And it's a five-year chart. And you can see that we've exceeded the peak from 2018. So an epic collapse and then an equally epic recovery. Now, consider the Spider S&P Metals and Mining ETF. Next chart. And see the same line. This, these stocks as a basket, 23, 24 of them, have not returned to their high. And that is the bet, that these will play catch up with the commodities. Now, this ETF has big steel names like U.S. Steel and Nucor, Cleveland Cliffs, Carpenter. It has aluminum like Kaiser and Century Aluminum, Alcoa. It's got silver, which is an industrial metal in many ways, uh, like Hecla, Newmont, gold. It even has, of course, Freeport McMoran. But the point is that we think this will catch up with the commodities themselves. So the next chart is a long-term comparative chart. And what it really shows is the, the one that's lagging, and that's the metals, is the higher beta, right? Because you have operating leverage from companies, whereas that's not the case with a commodity. And so you can see that the overshoots and undershoots from the XME, it does better, it does worse than the commodities. And we think this is a point where it plays catch up. Now, the XME itself, the actual ETF, here's a chart. Next chart, no drawings or annotations by me. Now consider the next. This has had very consistent drawdowns since the March low. You can see them there, uh, down 14%, down 16 down 15 down 18 We just had uh, a 17.9% decline. And now we're starting to recover. And each one of these sell-offs has led to yet a new high. And so final chart, this is what my eye sees, uh, a well-defined uh, setup for a breakout to new highs. So XME on the long side uh, for a catch-up trade with the underlying commodities. All right. Thanks for that, Carter. Mike, what's the trade? Yeah, so I, I think this is an interesting case. You know, we've seen so many risk assets uh, hitting new highs, as Carter was talking about, and we see some of the sort of store of value types of plays, like uh, Bitcoin also doing extremely well, and people have been a little bit perplexed, I think, sometimes when they've been wondering why it is that gold hasn't also been hitting all-time highs. I think we've heard Guy Adami actually 
express some wonder about that from time to time. I agree with Carter that this is certainly a place where it gets to basically play on two things. I mean, if we just started to see some creep in inflation in the products that this industry is in the business of selling, that obviously could be a potential positive. It's a bit of a reopening play to see more industrial activity. I think that's something we could take a look at as well. And I like the constituent stocks of XME, which isn't an ETF that we talk about that often. I would point out that like so many places, and we seem to be saying this quite a lot lately, even though some of these things are approaching some of these highs, the applied volatilities, the options on these things aren't necessarily. So here, once again, we're going to be looking for ways that we can sell a little bit of premium to help finance the bullish position that we want to take. I was taking a look specifically at a diagonal risk reversal. I was looking at selling the March 33 puts to use those proceeds of about 50 cents to help finance the purchase of the June 37 calls. Those were about $2.95 when I was looking at that earlier today. So that would be a net debit of $2.45. A uh, little bit less than about 8% or so of the underlying ETF price. But take a look at the strikes that we're dealing with here, right? So that 37 call strike is very close to at the money. The idea is that we're going to get some participation to the upside in the event that XME does, in fact, break out to those new highs. We're short that 33 strike put, which actually represents give or take about a 10% decline from where it is right now. So if it falls below that level, that's where you would actually ultimately have XME put to you. The other thing I would quickly point out is that that put that we're short expires much sooner than the call that we own. And that idea is that we're trying to capture the faster accelerating shorter dated option. And then we might even potentially get the opportunity to sell additional options against it, assuming that it doesn't drop below that strike price of the March put we're selling. Tony, what do you make of the trade? So first of all, I think the timing on this is perfect. You have the breakout here above that $36 resistance level. I think you have a quick target up to that $40 target, $40 high, which is the highs from early 2018. And especially with copper at, at decade highs, and you were starting to see this rotation into both materials and industrials, I think you have a strong support here for XME to continue moving higher here. Now, as Mike said, the, the, the diagonal risk reversal, the best way to think about it from, uh, from investors who are uh, not familiar with this strategy is really a short cash secured put uh, using that to finance that long call, as Mike was suggesting. And I like Mike's trade here because he's taking advantage of the fact that the March uh, options are trading at a higher implied volatility than the Junes. So he's selling the short dated options with higher implied volatility, using that to buy the longer dated June options that have lower implied volatility. And by selling that March 33 put, he's collecting 50 cents, which reduces the cost of his long call by about 17%. That's a fairly significant reduction in uh, the break-even cost of that $37 call option. Carter, is there an embedded call on the dollar slash rates in, in this XME call? No. Uh, and we've certainly discussed that, all of us together, many times, rates, uh, dollar. The, uh, the issue here is operating leverage, right? Meaning you, you see what happened to Deere today, right, as, as ag names uh, have gone higher. But they, they can have quick moves, aggressive moves. Uh, when you produce results that are way ahead of analyst consensus. And deer is a case in point. We know soybeans and wheat and, and so forth, other softs are surging. I think it's the case here. It's, it's, it's copper, it's nickel, it's tin, mm -hmm. and that the results from some of these uh, businesses will be uh, beating the street's consensus and allowing this to really move higher. Yeah. Mike, last word here. 
Yeah, I think that's actually an important point. He was talking about that operating leverage. You know, mm -hmm. one way that sometimes people look to mitigate the premium they're spending is by using, say, a debit call spread. The reason we're not doing that is because of the leverage embedded in the underlying industry and in the companies that are the constituents of this ETF. We basically don't want to cap our upside here. We're more comfortable getting long at a lower level than we are selling at the near upside level. All right, let's switch gears and hit the travel trade now. Hilton Worldwide hitting a brand new all-time high today after reporting earnings earlier this week. Tony says there are plenty more games to be made, so Tony, book us a room. <laughs> what do you have cooking here? Yeah, exactly. There is a lot of interest in in travel stocks right now, and I think Hilton is the candidate that I want to use to take uh, some upside exposure here. Now, if we take a look at the, our first chart, which is the Dow Jones Hotel Index, in early November, after the vaccine news came out, this group jumped sharply on that news. But since that event, this group has largely been range-bound since then, except for early this week when we started to break out uh, to the upside above that 2250 resistance level. And I think this is the opportunity for further upside from the hotel group. Now, when we look at the three major players in the hotel group, I think Hilton is the strongest from a relative strength perspective. And if we look at long-term long chart here, Hilton has, a has an all-time high here of around 115. And we recently, as you said, just broke out above that level after being range-bound for the past three months between 100, 115, breaking out here today, and that's the opportunity going forward. Now, the implied volatility here on Hilton is extremely low because it just reported earnings earlier this week. It's currently in its fifth percentile. So I'm going to lean towards buying options. But if we look at that earnings announcement earlier this week, it wasn't particularly strong. They did miss on both earnings and revenue, yet the stock is breaking out higher here. So I'm taking into that account as well because I don't necessarily expect a very big move here to the upside on the breakout. So I'm using a trade structure, using a call debit spread, really reducing the risk that I'm taking on this breakout. So the trade, so the trade I'm using here is I'm going out to April and I'm buying the 115, 130 call spread, spending about $7.50 for that March 115, uh, April 115 call and collecting about $2.15 for that April 130 call. Net net here, I'm only paying $5.35, which is only about 4.5% of the stock's value. That's all I'm risking, even if this trade falls apart. And I have about a little bit, uh, just short of two to one risk to reward ratio on this potential breakout here to the upside for Hilton. Mike, do you like this trade? I do like it. You know, this is an interesting situation because, you know, people who are taking a look at companies like this one where obviously their business was fairly significantly impaired as a result of the pandemic and they had losses for the full year last year and you're seeing these relatively high multiples might be wondering why you would make a bullish case. You know, Hilton is an interesting case. They're trying to run an asset light model. They're trying to do manage basically a management business and using their brand essentially around the world. And an asset-like business, is, especially with a well-recognized brand like Hilton, as you try to emerge from this and you're imagining which participants in the hospitality industry are probably best levered to that circumstance while taking somewhat less risk, Hilton is right there. So even though the most recent results haven't been that great, we're probably looking at full year 2022 EPS of just shy of four bucks a share, maybe 380, and maybe as high as 480 after that. So that 50 times earnings number that you might otherwise be thinking for full year 2021, you have to kind of look past where we are right now. And I think the fact that the stock did well coming out of earnings 
reflects the fact that that's exactly what investors are doing. They're kind of looking past all of this, saying they like the asset light model, saying they like Hilton as a brand, and betting on a good recovery in the next two or three years, not the next one or two. All right. For everything Options Action, check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, sign up for the newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Grab your popcorn options, fans, because our Professor Co. is laying out a silver screen playbook on how you can navigate all the wild moves in AMC and how to trade it using options. It's a show you don't want to miss. Plus, calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when options action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. Before the break, we laid out one way to play the reopening trade. Now, how about a way not to? Shares of AMC have had a wild ride this year on everything from the Reddit frenzy to takeover speculations to hopes for a COVID vaccine. But Mike says it's a case of buyer beware if you want to get into the stock. He's got a call to action. Mike. Yeah, so I, I understand why some people might be trying to play AMC on the long side coming out of the pandemic. It's a reopening play. It has a lot of leverage. Of course, that means that you get big moves, and I think that attracts people. We know that the Reddit rebellion stocks often were targeting names that had some fairly significant short interest. This was not a well-loved stock on Wall Street, and it did have a fairly decent short interest. So all of those are, are reasons why someone might want to play it to the long side. But I think it is important for people who are looking at this to understand that this is still a company that is burning through a tremendous amount of cash. And despite the stock issuance, despite the fact that there was that convert, which was converted, even though it had been only recently way out of the money, and that obviously took some of the burden off the balance sheet. There's still quite a lot of debt remaining, still a lot of significant cash burn, maybe $480 million or so for the full year. And so you also need to remember that when you issue stock, it has a dilutive impact on the, on the shares as well. So I think as people are taking a look at this, and they're going to be reporting earnings uh, next week, and obviously the market is expecting some pretty big moves. I think it's expecting right now in the options market a move of about 14%. And this is a stock that normally moves nearly 8%, so quite a lot. But when people are making bets on this stock using options, hoping to see short-term moves one way or the other, you need something to happen. Usually you need something really big to happen for your trade to work out. So if you buy short-dated options that expire in one day or two days or at the end of this week or the end of next, you need to see it go through that strike by at least as much as you paid before you start seeing profits. When options premiums are as elevated as this, if you have a view that it's going to move higher or lower, you might want to consider selling options instead. But as I pointed out, the stock is moving quite a lot. So what do you do? You can sell credit spreads. Two ways to do this. If you're bearish on the stock, and I'll tell you that a lot of Wall Street still is bearish on this stock. They're very skeptical of the, uh, of the Amazon acquisition. You could sell a call spread. I was looking at the April 1st, five and a half, six and a half call spread earlier today. You could collect about 40 cents if you sold that call spread. Now, here's the thing. As long as AMC doesn't rally more than 8%, you'll see profits. Your maximum risk is 60 cents. Your maximum profit is 40 cents. Kind of a coin toss, but it favors the downside. Let's say you're bullish. Sell the April 1st, 
five and a half, four and a half put spread. When I was looking at that, you could collect 50 cents. Now here's another interesting situation. If the stock stays here or goes higher, you're gonna collect that 50 cents and it has to decline by at least 8% or even slightly more before you see losses. Your maximum risk, 50 cents. Your maximum gain, 50 cents. But in both of these cases, if the stock stays right around here, you make money. If it goes in your chosen direction, you make money. And if it goes against you, your risks are limited. Carter, what do the charts look like? Sure, just before we get to them, uh, it's important to note what Mike said. The analyst community doesn't like it, right? You've got nine analysts that cover it, no buys. Five holds, four sells. Their price target, collectively, as a group, is 250. Stocks at five. Um, does that mean they're right or wrong? It means that there's skepticism. Let's look at two charts. The first is the all-data chart. What is hopeful and happy is that most things lend themselves to the process of pattern interpretation. You can see the straight-down line, and it hits that line over and over and over, and the move up, whether it's Reddit or Robinhood or who knows what, it is exactly a break above that line. Now, the short-term chart, just to zero in on it, 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 second chart and final chart, more often than not, if you have an overshoot like that, essentially $2 to $20, and you give most of it back, you typically will give back at least to the point of the trend line above which you broke out. So that implies at least $4, uh, that's $1.50 lower, which is a substantial hit from here. All right, well, Tony, what do you make of this all? So I echo exactly what Mike is saying. From my, pers from my perspective, the biggest issue here is the negative $2.3 billion in shareholder equity that continues to trend in the wrong direction. And Mike mentioned the fact that they were able to convert about $700 million of debt to equity over the past couple of weeks, and that certainly is good, but they still have about $5 billion of debt on their books, and again, that is dilutive to shareholders. So, you know, when you look at the company, it's just not in good financial health, and they continue to need financing in order to stay afloat here. So, as Carter said, you know, if you look at the chart here, the fact that the stock is staying below the $6 level, I think, is at best neutral and probably more likely bearish going into that earnings event. And I like Mike's trade here using that credit spread. Normally, when we sell a credit spread like this, we like to go about 45 days out. That's the optimal credit spread. So going out to April 1st, that's about 41 days. And we're always trying to collect about one-third of the width here on a credit spread. He's actually collecting 40% of the width, which means that the risk here is only about one and a half times the income that he's collecting on this credit spread. So for those reasons, I really like the trade, and I agree with Mike and Carter on the direction. A lot of people who might be inclined to trade an AMC, Mike, might be looking for a, a shorter-dated sort of trade. Are there weeklies in AMC, and why would you recommend against using those, and, and why did you go to March 19th and April for your trades? Yeah, well, so actually it's interesting because the art, uh, April 1st options are a weekly series. They're just not the weekly mm. series that expires at the end of next week or the one after. Uh, you know, what often happens when people first start trading options, and, and look, you know, I can understand the appeal. You can risk a small amount of premium and you get a lot of leverage. You get a lot of gearing, and I think that's one of the things that attracts people to options. But, of course, one of the things that also impacts is your probability of success. That's the trade-off that you're always weighing. You know, generally, I would normally encourage people to think about improving their odds of success and then working their way towards, you know, tactically picking uh, situations where you might want to trade those shorter dated options. I realize they're very attractive. You know, it's a, kind of a lottery ticket uh, mentality, I think, sometimes. But if you really want to do this for the long term, you want to 
improve your odds of success. All right, good advice there. Up next, Snap, Crackle, Pop, shares of the social media giants surging this year. We'll break down what that means for one of our traders. Plus, you ask, we are answering. So send us your burning options questions on our Twitter handle at Options Action. You might just get your answers on air. Back right after this. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take a look back at one of our open trades. Back at the end of January, Tony said Snap could be a way to make some gains in the social space. If we take a look at the chart itself, on earnings last, uh, last quarter, it broke out above that $30 resistance level. It's now finding a base above a $48 base. So this stock has rallied significantly since last quarter's earnings. But if you look at it, it's still continuing to outperform the technology sector. And that is the type of relative strength that I like to see going into an earnings event. The trade structure I want to use reflects this, uh, the fact that it's risen so high and the implied volatilities are so high. Um, and I'm using a put credit spread here. I'm going out to the March 5th um, weekly expiration and I'm selling the $51 puts for about $5.80 and I'm buying back the 44 puts for about $2.60. Net net here, I'm collecting about $3.20. Tony, you knocked it out of the park. What's the next move here? Yeah, we sold it for $3.20. You could buy it back today for about $0.10. Cents. You've made about 95% of your max reward. It's time to take profits and move on to the next trade. Yeah. Carter, what, are the, what does the stock look like on the charts? Just sort of steady up and to the right. And you want to stay long, be long as an equity holder or do things clever as we do here on Options Action. <laughs> of course. And Mike, just quickly, if we're worried that uh, higher valuation stocks and tech stocks might see some pressure as rates go higher, should we be concerned about SNAP? Yeah, I mean, I think we need to be concerned about any high beta stocks in that case. But I think if you hedge your portfolio using put spreads on the queues or something like that as a hedge, you're probably going to be okay. All right. It is time for the final call. Carter Braxenworth, what do you say? I well, we want to play the Spider Metals and Mining ETF, symbol XME, on the long side. Tony Zhang. Long hotels using Hilton, long a call debit spread. Mike Co. Diagonals on XME to make that bullish play. All right, that does it for us here on Options Action. We'll be seeing you back here next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Don't go anywhere, though. A special bonus edition of Fast Money starts right after this break. Stay tuned. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.